everybody, it's uh, Eugene Licio here, and welcome to Forensics Talks. And this is episode 74. We've made it all the way to 74, which is great. So my guest today is Douglas Young, and uh, Douglas began his training as a crime scene technician for the Gibson County Sheriff's Department, and he held that position all the way back starting from 1993 till about 1998. And later on, he went uh, to chief of police with the Oakland City Police Department, and that started from about 2002, and that's in Indiana, by the way, uh, where he served until May 2007. And right after that, uh, he moved to Thornton, Colorado, where he accepted a position as a crime scene investigator with the Thornton. Police Department Crime Lab. And uh, in 2009, Doug was promoted to senior criminalist and he continues to serve in that capacity uh, today. Now, Doug is somebody who's lectured domestically and internationally on a whole bunch of different topics. And in reviewing his CV, he's got a ton of training and a ton of different things that he's worked on. So crime scene investigation, uh, forensic entomology, bloodstain pattern analysis, shooting reconstruction, and just uh, general general crime scene reconstruction. So a whole bunch of different things. He's very knowledgeable. Um, he's uh, been qualified as an expert at the federal and state courts. And I first met Doug um, in... I think I met him at the ACER conference. So the Association of Crime Scene Reconstruction in Tacoma, Washington, at least that's where I first remember meeting him. And um, uh, the first thing I think that impressed me about him was he's just a really open uh, individual. He's the kind of person that can talk to anybody and, uh, you know, sort of make you feel good and joke around and, and have some smiles. But it wasn't until about three years ago. And I think that was the that was the ACER conference in um, Nevada, in Reno, Nevada. In fact, that's the that's the mug that I got from there um, that I first heard him speak on, you know, like forensic professionals dealing with tragic incidents. And I'll say that I saw him again just a couple of months ago at the IABPA conference in San Diego. And even though it was the second time I had heard that presentation, it's something that always strikes a chord with you. And it's a very sincere presentation and something that uh, I I thought was really important to talk about. Uh, So I want to bring him in here today and... Here he is. Hey, hey, Doug, how you doing? Hey, Eugene, how are you? Excellent, excellent. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, let's get started with you first. I want to, oops, let me see, get you back there. There we go. That's all right, you can keep me off. (laughs) No, no, Uh, let's start with you. And I want to know about your background. I talked a little bit about, you know, some of the moves you've made in your career. Uh, But were you always a, like forensics, like you knew you were going to get into forensics or policing. Like what, what was your background or thinking the little, little young Doug running around going, you know, I'm going to be in forensics. Yeah, I grew up, uh, I grew up on a farm in, uh, in Southern Indiana and, you know, a cattle farm and was a little 4-H kid and uh, doing fun things like that. And um, always was interested in science. I, I, I remember that uh, my fifth grade science teacher told me, she said, hey, you know, science will solve a, a lot of things in your life. And uh, I always took that to heart. And so uh, I always, uh, I, I, a lot of people out there probably won't remember Dr. Quincy, but I, I always wanted to be Dr. Quincy, you know. And, uh, but I, I went the, uh, the law enforcement route and, and uh, got my degree in forensics and, uh, and started working crime scenes and, and just, you know, continued down that path. Um, I, I worked for the, uh, the Sheriff's Department there in, in Indiana, and um, I, w- I was teaching the D.A.R.E. program and uh, decided, you know, I, I, I wanted to get out of the schools and do more forensic stuff. And so I, I moved to Austin, Texas, and uh, that was, a, that was a, really, a really big move for a, a country boy going to a big city. Uh, but it was a, a phenomenal move for me. Um, 
And, and, you know, when we talk about emotional wellness, I think that was where I first really realized um, that that was the, the area where, man, the things that I'm seeing and the things that I'm experiencing were affecting me. And I don't know that they were affecting me, that I realized it, right? I, I, I told myself I have this switch. Um, and, I, and I've heard a lot of people tell me that over the years. I have this switch in, in the back of my head, and when I go home, I flip it off. And when I go to work, I flip it back on. And, um, and I said the same thing. Um, and over the years, I found that that's, that switch uh, shorted out. Uh, and we'll, we can get into that later more about that. But... You know, um, we have to take care of ourselves and we have to, to, to figure out that that switch is, um, is fragile, so to speak. Right. right. Well, you know, when I first met you and, and I didn't quite say this, but, you know, you're, I, I did say like you're a very personal guy. You, you talk to anybody from what I've seen. You know, you'll joke around with anybody and welcome everybody, which is great. Um, but you don't come across as a how can I say this? an overly sensitive or emotional guy. You know what I mean? Like, right. you, you, you know what I mean? Like you wouldn't think that of you. And I, and I still don't think that of you actually, but you know, you're sort of a person now that does talk about emotions and how people feel. And so that, that's really uh, quite a sort of, sort of quite a change. And maybe some people may not expect that from you. Right. Well, and I, and I think it's, I think it's funny that you say that because people that you would talk to, uh, you know, years ago, or even probably now, that that knew me uh, all through my life where they would be are, are you kidding me doug young is not the guy that talks about his feelings he's he's not the person that would would talk about how he felt and what he did and i think you know part of that eugene is the is the culture that i came up in you know um, i'm an old guy and i came up in the in the culture of we didn't talk about feelings we didn't we went from call to call to call we shoved our feelings down and we dealt with it. And it wasn't for me until I had to do that. And the way I kind of describe it is we all have this bucket. And as, you know, we deal with calls, we deal with bad uh, things, that stuff goes in the bucket. And you have to poke a hole in the bottom of that bucket to let some of that stuff out. You have to drain that or otherwise it just continues to fill up. And unless you let it out, it's gonna overflow. And for me, it was my health that, that caused me to have to deal with it. Okay, yeah, and um, I wanna ask you about your, your, your personal story, uh, like maybe like what happened to you and kind of how, how things went for you. I know firsthand that uh, there's, there's, there's people chiming in today that probably have been through a bad time or maybe still be going through a bad time. And I know, I know colleagues because I work very closely with a number of police agencies who have uh, just whatever they, it was one thing, or maybe it was accumulation of things, but then there was one thing in particular that was like the trigger and then they, they couldn't work anymore. So they had to take some time off to, to recover from something that, that was sensitive uh, to them. Um, I'm sort of fortunate because I don't, have to deal with that on a daily basis. I'm not a first responder. I have been to some things which have definitely left an impression upon me, uh, but I don't have to deal with that. So let me ask you first about the kinds of things, the different types of things that 
can cause, uh, I'll call it emotional instability. Um, like I always, I obviously, you know, you just mentioned the fact that, you know, you guys are dealing with very tragic incidents. And so that's definitely one, but there's other things too, no? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, so I, I look at, um, you know, it's a culmination of things. Um, and one of the things that we, um, and I'll start here. One, one of the things that we looked at was um, we looked at the difference and I didn't really realize it until um, actually I moved. I got here to Thornton. When you look at the patrol side of stress, patrol officers have stress where they are responding call to call to call to call. And so in a sense, their stress is short duration, but more, more stress, but for a short duration. For a forensic investigator, we are looking at stress prolonged. So for instance, we're in scenes for days at a time. We're in a scene uh, dealing with horrible, awful things, but then when we leave the scene, we're still dealing with it because we're going to an autopsy. We're doing um, a sketch. We're doing trial preparation. We're doing all of these things afterwards. And so we don't get away from it for, a, for maybe years at a time. So you have that. But then on top of that, and what a lot of people don't realize, and I didn't realize, was that you have the daily stresses of life, right? You have the stresses of home. You have the stresses of finances you have the stresses of all of those other things that compound and they all affect each other um, and and I can tell you from my perspective I know for a fact and I didn't realize it at the time but the stress that I was enduring at work was affecting my home life it it definitely was and my family was telling me you're being an ass you're you're you know, you're mean. You're you're doing things that you don't normally do. And I was saying, no, I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm normal. And I wasn't. And it wasn't till after I got help. It wasn't till after, uh, you know, that I educated myself that I realized, yes, I was. They were right. Right. So, I mean, you, you've been sort of an advocate right now for, you know, emotional wellness and things like that. But what can you tell me about your like your story? Like when when did when did it all first, like, what was the spark for you? What was the first thing where you started noticing something and, and how did that progress to, you know, leader? So I, so I had two, um, I had two cases and, and that's what really triggered me. Uh, the first case was in Austin and, and I'll be brief, but, um, it was a child case. Um, and, and I, um, it was a baby death, uh, very, uh, very, very bad case. It was a car accident and, um, and so I dealt with that, um, but I didn't. I didn't deal with it in the sense where I went and talked to anyone about it. Uh, and it was very gruesome. It was very, uh, very bad. I had nightmares. I, I would not, you know, go that way to work. I would go around that area. I wouldn't. I wouldn't deal with it. Um, and it was about. I would. I think it was about sixteen years later. I'm in Thornton. And I have another uh, child death. And, and here's the thing that really, um, that was really interesting to me. I had worked child deaths 
in between that time, right? And I go into the ER um, on this on this child death in Thornton, and I go in to take photographs of this child, and I uncover um, the child, and I start to take photographs, and my heart starts pounding. I break out in a sweat, and I and I tell the detective who's in the room. I said. I'm having a heart attack. I literally think I'm having a heart attack. And the nurse is in the ER. And it's funny now. It wasn't at the time. Uh, she's like, uh, Kremlis Young, do we, do we need a room for you? And I'm like, no, I just need to calm down. Um, but it was Austin flashed back instantly. And so I'm like, something's going on here. And it was about two weeks later um, I was at home and I was laying in bed getting ready to go to sleep and I started just seizing. I had a, a grandma seizure. And of course, to me, I was like, what the hell is going on, <laughs> right? Like it, it freaked me out. Um, and it was about a week later, I had another one. And so that was the, that was the trigger or the, the clue to me that, hey, something's going on here. Um, so on top of that, then now I'm trying to get help and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. The doctors are like, hey, we don't know what's going on. Your blood work's fine. All of this is fine. We're going to admit you to the hospital. We're going to try to um, figure it out, right? We're going to do these scans and we're going to do all this stuff. That was even more stressful because (laughs) they have you in a hospital bed, right? They have an alarm on the hospital bed and they won't even let you get up to go pee by yourself. <laughs> so, right? So I can't even get up out of the bed. Um, and what I found out later was that they're trying to induce a seizure to try to figure out what this is. Um, and so at, in the end, um, they say, well, there's nothing wrong with your brain. And, I, and of course, jokingly, me, right, I, I, I'm saying, are you sure, doc? Because, come on now. Um, but the, in the end, the, the diagnosis was PTSD. Um, and the psychiatrist that, that they, they gave me to, to help with it said she used the, the bucket analogy. Your bucket is so full that your body, you have refused to, to deal with this stress, with, the, with these horrible things that your body has forced you to do it. And of course, I'm in denial. And I said, listen, doc, PTSD are, is what veterans have. PTSD is what, you know, our heroes who have gone to war, who come back, that's what they have. They're the people that have been in battle. And she says to me, she says, Doug, what do you think you go to every day when you go to a crime scene? You go to battle. You go to battle and you battle these demons in these scenes. You battle darkness. It is PTSD. And that was a that was a uh, an awakening for me to to be like, "Wow, okay. I have to do something about this." Do people 
around you? I mean, the people know you now and, 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 you know, they've heard your story every now and then, but do you find that a lot more people are like reaching out to you now and they say, Hey man, I need to talk to you or yeah, you know, they can relate to a lot of what you're saying. I, I do. Um, I do Eugene. And you know, here, here's the thing that, um, it, and it took me a, a long time to, to do this, but it was one of, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, here in Colorado and he was, um, he was one of the investigators at Columbine, and he told me, he said, you need to spread the word. You need to talk about this. And it took me a, a, a while, and the word that I use to describe it is, I decided that I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm, I'm not afraid to make myself vulnerable, to go out there and to open myself up. To me, vulnerability is power. And if I, can, if I can do that and I can save one person, if I, can, if I can keep one person from having to go through the crap that I went through, it is completely worth it. It is, it is 100% worth it. You talked about like when, you know, when you started, I mean, you've been around a while that we're talking about like nineties, right? So, um, and some of the differences, like when you started that, you know, it wasn't something you talked about and things like that. So I'm wondering about today, I think people are more sensitive to it, a little bit more sensitive to it today, but are, you know, police agencies and these different types of agencies, are they well equipped today to prepare people for, you know, what's coming their way? You know, and I think, yes, uh, the answer is yes and no. I think some are, um, and I think some are not. And I think we have to do a better job of educating. We have to do a better job of of educating uh, some of these agencies, uh, you know, the peer support, uh, get that word out there and, and talk about this is a real issue. I mean, we look at the number of suicides, uh, officer suicides, uh, forensic investigator suicides. You know, they're off of the charts. And, and we, we just, we need to do um, better in educating. I know our department, you know, I, I at one time went to our chief and I said, listen, the stress, the, the things that we deal with is different for crime scene investigators than it is for patrol. And our chief was open. He said, you know what, Doug, I didn't realize that. I did not realize the difference. And I said, it's different for dispatchers. It's different for victim services. And he said, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. What do we do? How do we change it? Right? And he was, he was very open. And I think educating is a key. But the other thing is, is I think we can all, uh, every single one of us, can be um, a helpful person. Because a lot of times, Eugene, all it takes is just showing up. All it takes is just being there. And the biggest thing that I've learned is just listening. Just listening. Uh, you know, as law enforcement, as investigators, and all, we're problem solvers, right? That's what we do. That's what we're programmed to do. And I myself have to fight a lot of times just to listen. 
But most of the time, people just want someone to listen. And right. it's just a matter of showing up, being there, and listening. And, and yeah. it, it's huge. Uh, I know that the, and the problem may be larger than we think, because I know, especially over the past couple of years now, uh, with the whole COVID situation, and a lot of, I have a lot of police colleagues, so I, I won't mention any agency specifically, but I think you probably know too, there are a lot of police and people in forensics and, and working for the police, people who are off, and they're off because of stress, because of emotional issues and that sort of thing. And I was shocked to find out exactly, you know, what percentage, like we're talking about percentage of a police force, you know, people from patrol and and that are off right now. So what kinds of things can we see about a person? What kinds of things will help us detect when a person needs to be spoken to? Because sometimes it's like a surprise, Um, you know, you know, maybe somebody comes and they they appear perfectly normal. You know what I mean? Uh, Maybe, maybe, but maybe there may be the uh, the little, little things that are our little signals saying, Hey, maybe there's something going on here that I should, I should talk to this person about, or I need to, you know, have them, you know, they need, they need a shoulder. Like what, what kinds of things can you detect? You know, I, I think the biggest things that I've, I've seen um, are anxiety, if they're showing irritability, um, loss of interest. That's a big one uh, that, that I found. I had a colleague um, who was, uh, he lived to go fly fishing. I mean, phenomenal fly fisherman. And, um, you know, I was talking to him one day and he says, just I don't want to I don't want to fly fish anymore. I'm just I don't have any interest in doing it. And I'm like, you know what, dude, what's going on? What's up? And we sat down and we talked. And sure enough, he had some things that were going on. And but it was just that small thing, you know, that small clue um, that that clued me in. But it's it's the change. It's just a simple change in the behaviors. Um, and one of the other things that that I know um, I talked about in the class that we were in, but there's a good approach too. like if you notice that in someone um, and, and I come up to you and I say, hey, how you doing? You know, your natural response is going to be, hey, Doug, I'm doing great. Right. I'm doing fine. It's awesome. So I've had to change the way I do that. And if I see my partner or I see you. I'm going to say, what's going on in your head today? You look a little down. You know, it's a different approach. But what it does is, is it requires a response from you other than, I'm fine, Doug. I'm good. You know, and so just simple wording. Um, and, and, I've, and I've noticed that, that that helps. That helps. But, yeah, just, you know, um, I've noticed sometimes in my partners their inability to focus. Um, you know, just they're, they're spacing out. Um, they can't, they can't, um, they disassociate. They're off in space somewhere. Just all, just little things like that. When it comes to getting help, there was a few things that are coming into my mind from the class. Actually, one was the seeds. Remember we talked about the seeds. <laughs> we'll get to that. I may have to ask you about that. Remind me about the seeds after, but, um, how what how does somebody start on the path to like you know recovery or or like um, just getting better? You know, I the first thing is <laughs> the first thing is to recognize it. You know, and I think again, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. It took me a long time to recognize it. We, I did not want to recognize it. I was normal, 
So I had to recognize the fact that, yeah, I got a problem. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to counseling. Counseling was, was very good. It's getting that out there. It's getting that, hey, this is what's going on. And, and the thing that I found, Eugene, was I'm not the only one that's experiencing these things, right? I'm not, it's, I'm not unique in that, hey, I feel this way. I'm not weird because I feel this way. And the other thing is, is it's okay to talk. You're not weak. You're not weak to talk about your feelings. And I think when I came up, like I said, in law enforcement, you were weak if you talked about it. No. To me, it's completely opposite. That makes you stronger. It makes you better um, at what you're doing. And so, you know, I, I think that's the first thing. And then one thing that I recommend to people is when you're looking for a counselor, make sure that you find a counselor that's trained in emergency services. That, that's a huge thing. Um, when I first started going through, I found a couple of counselors, but they weren't trained in emergency services. And so they had no idea what I was dealing with. And so I had to work through a couple of counselors before I found, found the right one. And there's all kinds of treatment things out there. One of the things that I, that I like, which was really good, was cognitive behavioral therapy. And that was one, that's one thing. Um, and if you imagine a triangle and you have thought, behavior, um, and action, if you change one of those, it changes the others. So if I can change the way I think about things, it changes the way that I react, right? It changes the way I feel. So that was very cool. Um, and then we can talk maybe towards the end about EMDR, and that was that was probably the best thing for me. That um, I, I mean, I'm a I'm a total um, fan of it, and I recommend it. What about the? I mean, people talk about you know like working out and just a good family life and and all the support things that can help to how can I say slow down the, the filling of the bucket per se, or maybe maybe try to empty the bucket. Uh, time away or, or stuff like that. Um, what other things can like a person do uh, to help their situation? Definitely. I mean, definitely exercise. Uh, you know, the, the three things that the three things that that I was told that you can do immediately to relieve stress, breathing, eating and exercise. So proper breathing. Um, and I'm not going to teach it on here. <laughs> Okay. exercise you know and that's simply going for a walk uh just just getting away getting out of the office if you're in an office environment right um if you've had an argument with your spouse whatever going for a walk um and then and then eating having a a balanced meal that could be just you know some some mixed nuts uh an egg something like that those uh just the breathing will activate the body's natural pharmacy of the calming drugs, the calming um, uh, hormones. So, you know, th that will immediately calm, calm you. Uh, working out, again, yes, that, that's phenomenal. Uh, but, but that breathing and those things will instantly help you. 
uh, vacation. Something. And you may make a great point. Make sure you take your vacation time. You know, I was a workaholic. And, uh, and someone told me, they said, you know what? You work to live, right? You work to live, not live to work. So, um, and I agree with that. I agree with that. Take your time away. Take your time. Yeah, that's that's important. And uh, luckily, I have some good people that, that drag me away every now that's and then right. when I need it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Um, there's a question that you ask at the uh, at the it was at the IBP and I found it really interesting. But it had to do with where people sometimes felt more stressed, like, uh, you know, for example, like at a crime scene or sometimes in the office. Yeah. And I was surprised at the answer. <laughs> so uh, is that something you found kind of common or? Yeah, and and uh, one of the things that we did, and it was it was super interesting, and and then it was a surprise to me actually that we uh, we worked with uh, University of Colorado Hospital. Uh, Dr. Mark Moss was uh, was very uh, good to us, and we sent out a, a survey, just very um, you know random. We sent it out to to different. Um, crime scene investigators in the, in the Denver metro area. And we, we had a list of questions. And what we found was that investigators were as much, uh, they, they, they had as much stress about the internal workings of their department as they did with working crime scenes. So the internal stress of the organization was just as much as it was for crime scenes. And we, I found that very um, interesting. And so one of the things was, how do we deal with that? You know, how do we combat that? Um, and, and we had some, you know, we had some discussions with, with our chief, with my chief. Um, and at the time, we have a new chief now, but at the time, and, um, and I think, and I think he was a little taken aback too, but um, you know, we, we worked on it and I, there's there's only certain things that you can do, I think, right? But uh, in looking and doing some research, it was like that across the board. It wasn't just here. So was this was this? Uh, I'm just curious about the relationship with the universities. Are you doing stuff like that, or, or continue to do like? Uh, we haven't. We or? yeah, we haven't done. Uh, it, COVID kind of hit, and we, <laughs> and it kind of died out. But it, it is something that I'd, you know I'd love to get back to doing. Um, and, you know, we just, we haven't done it. We haven't done any more um, at this point. Right, right. Yeah, okay. yeah, okay. That's cool. That's cool. Um, um, I just, just want to say to the people who are listening, listening I, forgot I forgot to mention at the beginning, but by all means, please uh, comment in, in the uh, chat window and, and add any questions if you'd like for, uh, for Doug, Doug here, because uh, uh, we're, we're open to, uh, to take any questions and that sort of thing, especially on a topic like this. I think that is affecting a lot of different people globally. And I know there's people working in some pretty... Um, well, wow, some pretty, pretty tragic, tragic things, things all over the place. place. Um, um, so, Doug, Doug, I was listening earlier about, about you know some, some of the bigger scenes or bigger uh, traumatic type, type of scenes, scenes that people go through, so like school shootings, mass shootings, and things like, like that. that. When a situation when a situation like that happens, is there any? And again, not being in the police or whatever, but is there any prep? Is there any talk before you get into these kinds of situations with the team? Uh, you know, it's, it's not always one person. Like these are larger scenes. So there's, there's, there's typically a group of people, you know, like Boston Marathon and, and all those types of events. Right. Yeah. The, we have, um, and I can, you know, here in Colorado, um, and I know the FBI, 
they have a team. Um, uh, so when we had, uh, well, we didn't, but the Boulder uh, King Supers shooting that was here, uh, you know, they had multiple teams that were there. Um, and we do, here we have a, um, a group called COFIG, uh, Colorado Forensic Investigators Group, and it's not a formal peer support uh, type of group. Our department has a group. Uh, our Thornton Police Department has a group. And so if one of the agencies, so say in Colorado, has something, then we can dispatch our peer support group and then vice versa. The training that is done here in Colorado is uh, typically done by one or two specific companies. And so we're all trained the same, which is which is very beneficial. Like like you're saying, you know, if, if there's a mass event, we're all trained the same, so we know how to how to respond and how to to uh, to deal with that. Okay. What about people who don't have training? So you told a story about, for example, I, I don't remember the exact case, but it was the one where you needed a worker to unbolt. The uh, was it the oil? The oil? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was uh, that was um, one of the, a, a very big case here in, in Colorado, and um, yeah, the this was a um, a worker who was assisting with this very big case and and removing uh, some, some bodies from from, um, from, from a, a tank. tank. And um, that situation—that's that, a different situation because at that point, we, no one knew that that person needed help, uh, and it wasn't until almost a year later that you know they found out that hey, this person is is suffering some severe trauma, some severe PTSD, um, and once they found out. Uh, then we were able to get, or I wasn't, but the the agency was able to get this person help um, because they were they were basically working on behalf of law enforcement, right? And so they they got them some some help. Right. Um, there's a question here actually by uh, by Ryan, and he, and he brings up a, a, a good uh, question here, and he says, "Do you see any connection with children with the crime scene officer when the crime scene officer has children of the similar age, or it reminds them of maybe someone someone that's close to them?" Oh yeah, <laughs> that was, uh, and that's a great uh, question, Ryan. That the case that I had in Austin, and and actually my son was actually the same age, and so I think that that probably uh, was part of the trigger. And then when I came here to Thornton, the, the hair from the, the little guy in Austin and the eyes were, right, were almost identical. And I, say, I think that was the trigger. Um, and I, the thing with triggers is you don't know what they're gonna be. And you know I describe triggers as um, you might smell something that reminds you of grandma's house from, you know, 20 years ago. And you're like, wow, all these memories come back from when you spent that time at grandma's house, you know. Um, but this is, for instance, this little guy's hair and, and his, uh, you know, the eyes. And so that's what triggered me to, to have that reaction. And so, yeah, I think definitely um, for me, kid cases are, are the hardest, are the hardest. So are you 
taking this like on the road? Do you teach this? Like what, what's going on with these classes? I realize COVID and stuff like that, but what, what's your, what's your plan with uh, like moving this forward? Yeah, I am. Uh, you know what? I am willing to do uh, anything to help anyone. Um, I'm available to talk, email, uh, you know, go online, do virtual travel. Um, I've done uh, several presentations, um, you know, conferences like, you know, uh, like you're aware of. So, yeah, I, I'm uh, I want to get the word out there. Like I said, I I want to continue to learn from others. I have the the philosophy of when I the day that people stop learning is the day that it's time to get out of the business. And uh, uh, I, I plan on learning to the end. And but um, I, I yes, I, I will go on the road. I'll do whatever it takes to, to help people. My uh, my philosophy is, you know, if it helps one person to, you know, not have to go on medical leave or have to get out of the business or they, you know, if they can continue in the job that they love, then I'll do it. You know, uh, email me, call me, wh- whatever it takes. Uh, I'm, I'm here to help. Okay. Catherine brings up a good question. It was actually on my mind and one of the next things I was going to ask you, but it, had to, it has to do with culture and the fact that, you know, how, how do you get, you know, patrol or police or, or people in the, you know, forensics to admit that there's an issue when, you know, potentially, um, they could, well, they're worried about getting some, you know, some, some problems afterwards with, oh, you know, they're, they can't do the job or like, you know, whatever, or, you know, the chief's going to say something or, or, or whatever. Um, you know, is it, how does it, like, how can you help that situation? Yeah, I think, so for us, we started at the top. So we started with our chief. Um, and what, what we did was we, um, we enlisted a commander that was completely on board. And we said, boss, this is what we need to do. There is a need for it. Um, and, you know, he was our champion. And he ran with it and went to the chief. And that's how we, um, that's how we sold it. And the chief said, we will do this. And so, uh, you know, and it's not a mandatory thing. If you want to, then you, it's there. If you don't, you don't have to. But what we found in our department was probably the first year, maybe 20% used it. After that, you know, as time went on, I would say that probably 80 to 85% now, yeah, are, they're on board. And, um, and it's, you know, like it's not an overnight thing, but I think people have to feel comfortable with it. And they have to know this is the biggest thing. There has to be trust, right? You have to trust the people that are on that team. Um, and for for me, like I find that my peers, so there's three of us in our lab. The, those other two, those are my confidence. Those are the people that I go and talk to. Not that I have a problem with peer support, but those are the people that I talk to, Right. And, um, and like I said, even if it's just a five, 10 minute, man, that scene sucked and this is how I feel, I'm good. It's, it, it's, yeah. it's letting that stuff out of the bucket, right? It's just so it's not overflowing. 
there was the, uh, I have to come back to the seed story because, uh, that, that was an interesting one, but I think it was, was that thing regarding, uh, the, I was that part of therapy or part of like the, the, your, Therapy, where that, something about like putting a seed in your mouth or whatever. Do you remember? Oh. That? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make me tell that one, are you? <laughs> I, want, I want to hear it again. I, hey, that that stuck in my mind from your talk. So now I'm like, hey, you got to oh tell everybody about the gosh. seed. <laughs> yeah. So we were, it was uh, it was a group there. It was mindfulness, and so um, and I didn't really. <laughs> I'm kind of a slow guy, but. Uh, it, it was about mindfulness and different ways of being mindful. So for me, my dog is mindful, right? I sit down with my dog and I pet my dog and it calms me. So one of the, <laughs> one of the things that they had us do was they gave us an almond. And they said, for to calm you, we want you to take the almond and we want you to feel the almond and feel the texture and we want you to do all this stuff. Okay, now put the almond in your mouth. So you put the almond in your mouth and now what does it feel like? And all I could think, Eugene, was I want to eat the damn almond, right? And now they wanted you to move it around in your mouth. I'm like, no, I just want to eat the damn almond. It was causing me anxiety. It wasn't calming me. <laughs> it did get a good laugh at IBPA, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, good. We got that off the table. Now you had to get that, had to get that out. You made me tell it. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, not a problem. In terms of the response that you've been getting from people in different different areas or, or different uh, different police agencies, I mean, are people reaching out, or have you talked to people like sort of all over the country, you know, internationally? Like, what what kind of uh, what kind of response? Like after your talks, like people come up to you and say certain things. Uh, what what sticks out in your head? Yeah, you know, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, the first one I did was in, in Nashville at, at Acer. Um, and I will be completely honest, I was scared to death. I was scared to death to get up in front of these this group of people. Um, and, you know, these conferences, these people are very well-known forensic uh, people in the, in the forensic community. Uh, and I was scared to death. And the night before, uh, this gentleman told me, he said, you get up there and you tell your story because people need this. I got up, I did the presentation, and afterwards, people came up to me, they hugged me, uh, they were, some of them were crying, some of them told me my marriage broke up because I didn't, I didn't talk, um, and they said, we want you to do this over and over and over again. And I had people ask me, will you come to this conference, will you do this? And I'm like, I'm a crime scene guy, right? I'm just a crime scene guy that worked. I'm not an emotional wellness person. But I think it was just the fact that I was willing to get up there and just say, this is how I feel. This is my story, right? Um, and if that's what it takes, man, I'm all about it. I will do it. I will do it continually. I will go wherever. And like I said earlier, if it helps, I'm all in. Well, I know it strikes a chord, uh, and I think that's the thing that a lot of people either have gone are going through it, have gone through it, or understand it. Because I know that in speaking with a lot of people, you know, after your talk, it really hits people and it strikes a chord. It's difficult not to pay attention to you when you're talking. You know what I mean? Like about about your personal experience and and that sort of thing. I, I think it's that people are afraid. This is my perception. I think people are are afraid to say, yeah, I'm going through this. I think, you know, I don't want to feel weak or I don't, 
But if someone gets up and says it, then they're like, yeah, man, I'm feeling the same way. I, I feel that. It's okay to say it now, right? Okay, great. I'll be that guy. I don't care. You know, I'll be vulnerable. I'm good. I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just trying to relate to one of the experiences that I had and I was in Oregon and, and there was, um, it was part of a training thing that I was doing with one of the police agencies, but I got a call at two in the morning and said, Hey, we're, you know, there's something going on. Like, um, you know, we, we want to use the equipment and stuff like that to come on out. Right. So, and that one was, uh, was pretty gruesome. And so, you know, I don't get to these things very often, uh, very few times actually, but I can tell you that the feeling I had was, while I was there was play it cool, man, play it cool. Yeah. You know, in my head, I'm just going, yeah, it's all cool. Like, you yeah. know, but you know, you, when you're, when you're saying in your head, play it cool, it means there's something wrong. Like it, you're, yeah. it's not really, a, it wasn't very comfortable. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a comfortable position to be in, but you know, you, you try to hold it together and, and just like, you know, and I find that uh, humor is an important part of this and forensics people have a very good sense of humor <laughs> we just have to be careful where we're using that humor right <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah for sure but I, yeah. I definitely noticed that a lot of people in forensics uh use humor as a way of uh you know maybe sending a message or possibly yeah. just yeah you know you, there's an understanding sometimes when there's a joke about yeah you know we get it so what is next for you? Like, what, what are you planning to do going forward? Like, are, are you looking at some kind of bigger things, uh, research, the, the more teaching? Uh, do you get involved? Like, who, who are other people that are in this area, too? Um, you know, man, I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. I, I love the work that I'm doing. Um, you know, I have Triad Forensics as my little company on the side. Yes. And so, um, you know, I, I, people keep asking me, and they're like, Doug, when are you going to retire? When are you going to retire? And I'm like, I'm not that old. Come on, I'm not that old. So, uh, but you know, yeah, I want to, uh, I'm going to keep, uh, keep working and, um, you know, maybe uh, in the future try to do a little bit more private stuff, teaching and consulting and, um, and move that forward a little bit. But yeah, I would really love to do more of this emotional wellness stuff, do some research in that area, get back with Dr. Moss and, and, uh, you know, write some papers, whatever. Um, I, that's really my passion. I, I want to help. Um, I want to get out there and I want to help people just, like I said, I don't, I don't want people, uh, really good, hardworking people that are in this, this field to, to have to go out on medical retirement, have to, to get out because of, you know, emotional things. Uh, cause, cause there's help out there. And, um, and if I can, and if I can be that help, then, like I said, I'm all in to do that. Are, are you going to be at any upcoming conferences or anything where people might catch you? Or um, I'll, I'll probably be at the II, um, which I believe is what on it's in Baltimore. I, I'm not sure where it's at, um, but um, that's the only one I'm, I'm thinking of now. So okay, um, but it's always changing. Schedules are always changing. <laughs> oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, could do you mind if I just put up your uh, your LinkedIn profile? Absolutely, okay? absolutely. Okay. All right, so that's uh, that's Douglas's LinkedIn profile right here, and also, well, I guess they can reach you through the Triad Forensics. I'll, I'll leave that back on there as well. Sure. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no problem. If anybody wants to get a hold of you, or, or you can help them out. Yeah, I'm available anytime. Anytime. 
Okay. Well, look, Doug, I think that's great. I really appreciate your time. It's a, it was a great talk. If, and folks, if any of you out there can ever get to a conference where Doug's at and he's, he's talking about this, it's uh, really worth a, a listen, some really good uh, stories um, and, you know, on a personal note and just something that people will need to pay attention of. It's not a topic that I've put here on Forensics Talks before. And so for that, uh, Doug, I really appreciate your time. Eugene, thanks for having me, man. I really appreciate it. It's great seeing you again. All right. Hey, all the best. Have a good night. Bye-bye.